First Corinthians eleven, twenty-three through twenty-eight. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me." In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, "This cup." Is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for all that You've done for us, Lord. God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that You've given us this great Word, great salvation, Lord. God, that we may know You. Lord, I ask that uh, You would speak through me this morning, that it not be I that is heard here, but it is You. Lord, that you would just fill this room with your Spirit and open ears and eyes that we may understand what you're telling us here. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So, as a little review here, last time we looked at this, Paul is the writer of the 1 Corinthians letter. The letter is actually a rebuke to the Corinthian church. It is a rebuke because... The, the whole letter is a rebuke. There was a lot more going on than just this. But they were perverting the celebration of the Lord's table. The rich people were coming, and they were using it as almost a drunken feast. They were coming, they were eating all the food up, they were drinking, getting drunk. And then poor people were coming later in the day, and they were finding that there was nothing left for them to take. And so there was divisions, there was factions in the church. And the Apostle Paul said that those factions existed to make evident the approved and the false through those divisions and factions. Paul gives instruction here, as we saw last time on proper behavior, for the Lord's table to examine yourself so that you will not be judged. We went over that the judgment was not that you were to be condemned to hell. It's that you would be disciplined as a parent would discipline a child. Went over that some were sick, some were weak, some were even ended up dead because of the manner they were taking this. So we're going to continue here with something that uh, that I had put on my heart this week with this. We're going to Matthew 26, 26 through 29. This is a account of the Lord's Supper when Jesus was actually speaking it here and while he was performing it. 
Starting in verse 26, While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on, on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus is foretelling his death here. He's showing that his body is going to be given for us. He's showing that his blood is going to be given as a sacrifice for our sins. He's foretelling that it is to be, that it is to be given for us those who are His. This is the gospel message. This is the message that Christ is giving His blood and His body for us who are sinners. And He's saying that we are to do this, we are to, to proclaim this in remembrance of Him, a remembrance of what He is doing. He is foretelling what He is going to do that He has given Himself, and that we're to do this in remembrance of Him. So to proclaim the Lord's death is the gospel message, as I just said. What does that look like? And we went over last time that when we do celebrate the Lord's table, that is what we're doing. We're proclaiming His death until He comes. Again, we go back to Corinthians Verse 26 of our passage, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So what does it look like to proclaim the Lord's death? Well, it's not just once a month or however often you take the Lord's table. It's a continual thing. It's your life. 1 Corinthians 11 Verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Be imitators of me, just as I am also am of Christ. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions, just as I delivered them to you. Paul delivered this to the Corinthian church. The Lord's Supper, as we looked before, was given to him by God. It was not given to him by men. He says, verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. He says he received it from the Lord. He did not receive it from men. And we know that he was not there at the Lord's Supper when he presented it at that Passover meal that night. Because we know that he was completely against Christ at that time. He was opposed to Christ. As a matter of fact, after Christ's death, when Christianity was spreading throughout the, throughout the world, he was going and he was arresting Christians and bringing them back to have them uh, judged and even killed. So we know that he was opposed to Christ. And what happened... When he was on the road to Damascus, Jesus came to him in a vision 
and asked him why he was persecuting him. Asked him why he was persecuting Christ. So we know that Paul was opposed to Christ at first, and he did not see any of this as it occurred. So he has been given this by Christ, and he is, that's one of the most convincing things that I've seen about Scripture, that it's God-breathed, because Paul was given this by Christ. He was not given this by man. He was not there when it happens, yet he speaks it fluently. So one of the things that we look at is proclaiming the Lord's death as being imitators of Christ. What also comes with being Christ-like or an imitator of Christ? Sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. And I know this is a very popular thing to be talking about, but this is something that the Lord has put on me. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So that is, we're to be imitators of God. To share in the sufferings of Christ, we see Matthew ten twenty-one through 22. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Christ proclaimed that the world will hate you because of him. If you are a Christian this day, know this, the world will hate you because of Christ. It may not look like it right now, but especially in this country at this moment, but all over the world there are Christians who are being persecuted, who are being put to death because of Christ's name. First Peter 4, 12-14 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ... Keep on rejoicing, so that at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Peter's saying here, don't be surprised that they're going to come after you. Don't be surprised that they're going to persecute you. Don't be surprised that they're going to hate you because of Christ. And it says that if you share in the sufferings of Christ, you will be blessed. God will bless you. You'll be reviled for His name, but God will bless you. And He will put His glory on you. John 16.33 also proclaims, again, this is Christ speaking, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. So Christ is 
telling them the world will give you tribulation. Again, he's basically saying they hate you because of me, but take peace because God has overcome the world. Mark 10:32 through 34. Again, we have Christ speaking. They were on the road going to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who follow were fearful. And again he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him, and scourge him and kill him, and three days later he will rise again. So Christ here is speaking of the sufferings that he is going to go through. He's foretelling his suffering, that they're going to mock him, spit on him, beat him. They're going to kill him because of what's been prophesied, what's been put forth from the beginning, what God has done to redeem mankind. But they don't recognize it. They hate him. And because they hate him, they hate us also, those who are his. Another trait of proclaiming the death of Christ that is in our daily lives is being the approved of God. Those who are Christians are approved of God. We see First Thessalonians 2, 1 through 6. Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examine our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness, nor did we seek glory for men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. Paul here is proclaiming that they've suffered for the message of Christ. They've suffered for being Christians in Philippi. But they had boldness to speak. And they had boldness to speak to this church in Thessalonica to give them the gospel. It says that they were approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. And as we saw before here, to proclaim God's death is the gospel. To proclaim God's death for the world is the gospel. And they have been approved to, to be entrusted with the gospel. To speak to men, not pleasing them, but things that... They really don't don't like. Second Timothy two. We're going to look at verse fifteen. 
says, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. So he's telling Timothy here to be diligent, present yourself approved to God as a workman, not to men, to God. Do not be ashamed to accurately handle the word of truth. And he says also to avoid empty chatter. That empty chatter is the things that men like to hear. It's the things that are pleasing to men, not to God. Second Corinthians thirteen, five through nine also speaks of this. Sorry, I know we're moving through a lot of scripture today. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail the test. But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Now we pray to God that you do no wrong, not that we ourselves may appear approved, but that you may do what is right, even though we may appear unapproved. For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. For we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but we are strong. This we also pray for, that you be made complete. So as we have Paul writing again to the Corinthian church, he is saying that you are to examine yourselves. You are to see that you pass the test that God has put before us, that Jesus Christ is in you, And he says that uh, many times it will look like, it will appear that we are not approved. But we are approved of God if Christ is in us. The next trait I want to show is love. Matthew five forty three through 48 You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and good, and he sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Christ here is calling us to love everyone. He says that what good is it if you only love those who love you? Is that really what Christ is here for? Christ loved everybody. He loves the world. And he gave himself up for it. You're not only to love those who love you and love those who are amongst you. You're to love the world. You're to love those who hate you. But he also talks about here 
to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That is something that the world does not have. The world doesn't have love for those who hate them. The world does not have anything like that. And when we live our lives as Christ, it is seen. It's seen that we are loving everyone. And that is where it says that be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He is the one who will make you that way. You do not have any way of doing that of your own. Hebrews 10.24, we went over this. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He encourages us to stimulate each other to love and good deeds, And he is talking to the church here so that we can do these things, that we can be set apart from the world, that the world can see us as set apart. You look at John 17. This is Jesus' prayer for the uh, apostles, the disciples at the time. Verses 25 and 26. He says, O righteous Father, as Jesus is praying, Although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known you, that you have sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus is praying to the Father here. He's saying the world doesn't know him, the world doesn't know God, yet... He knows these apostles, these disciples that he has brought the love of God into. And he's saying, so that the love which you loved me may be in them and I in them. He's saying, the world needs to see them as mine. The world needs to see their love, the love of God, the love of Christ. First Peter 4.8. I love this one. This is a great thing about love. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. The love that Christ gave for us, the love that Christ showed on the cross, the love that Christ displayed in the uh, presenting of the Lord's table is the love that covers all those sins. It's a love that caused the world to hate him. It's the love that had him give himself on the cross as the great sacrifice for all of our sins. And the last thing on love here is 1 Corinthians 13, 8-13. We all know some of what this is. This is the 1 Corinthians 13 is basically about love. Verses 8 through 13. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. 
If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when we, when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. He says all these other things, all these other gifts that people elevate, they'll be done away with. Love is the greatest that comes of all of this. Love is the greatest thing that He has given us. He says, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. The next trait to proclaiming Christ, to proclaiming the gospel, is proclaiming Christ's return. We see this in 1 Corinthians 11.26. He speaks here, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. As Christians, we're to be proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes. Part of that is taking the Lord's Supper, and that is to be shown publicly. That is not to be done in secret and private. It is to be done publicly because it proclaims the Lord's death. Luke 21 25 through 28. There will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth. This is Christ proclaiming his return, by the way. There will be signs in sun and moon and and stars and on the earth, dismay among nations and perplexity, and the roaring of the sea and the waves. Men fainting from fear an expectation of the things which are coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So Christ proclaims His own return in the book of Luke and actually in all the Gospels. He does this, but I wanted to just proclaim this one in Luke. He shows that He's going to return, and we're to watch for that. We are to expect His return. It says, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So are we eagerly awaiting the return of Christ? We look at 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 9. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He says here, eagerly awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, eagerly awaiting His second coming, that He's going to reveal Himself again to the world. It does say, though, that His coming is unknown. Mark thirteen thirty three through 37 Take heed, keep on alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey, who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on alert. Therefore be on alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Christ is telling us here, await his return, be on the alert. He's speaking of himself here, that he is going to be coming back. Be ready when he comes. Don't be caught off guard. Matthew 24 42 through 44. Therefore be on alert. And this is Christ speaking again. Therefore be on alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think He will. So Christ proclaims that He is coming back, that He is going to come to this world again, and we are to be eagerly awaiting His return. So in conclusion, what this looks like, what it looks like to proclaim the Lord's death until He comes, when we take of the Lord's table... We're taking with the understanding of the price that Christ paid for us. We are to examine ourselves as not to mock the Lord, and we are to live in a manner that proclaims Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day, Lord. God, I thank you for all that you've brought here. Lord, I thank you for everything that you've given us. God, I ask that we would live as to You, Lord, that we would proclaim You daily. And Lord, that when it comes to take Your table, Lord, there would be no hindrance in us. That this would be something that is normal for us, that we we do not have any hindrance with You. Thank You, Lord, for everything. Thank You for this day. I ask this in your name. Amen.